Good evening, brothers and sisters out there in outer space and inner space. Good evening to the demons that walk the road someplace in Mississippi looking for a good-time Charlie victim. Good evening to the people in orbit around the earth right now observing us like ants inside of a cage. Good evening to the grass. Good evening to that lass, that young woman you left standing at the bridge. Good evening to the stars. Good evening to the stars. It is April the 27th, 2022, in the age of Boblimtok. As you, as you may or may not know that we are in that age of Bo Blimtok. We might be in other ages too, but this is the only one I'll stake my reputation to. That according to the ancient calendars, according to the clown cycle, we're in Bo Blimtok. And it's almost 7.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, according to the ancient clocks of the Ute Indian Nation. Here in the shadow of the Uinta Mountains, with the Sasquatch looking down at us from those hills, its teeth covered in blood. The Sasquatch looks at what we've done to the rivers and the seas and the lakes and to each other, and it mocks us, it laughs at us, it will drink our beer. Can you hear the Sasquatch armies marching towards your home? There, nearing your home, a giant Sasquatch is going to knock on your door, buddy. Are you ready for it when a 8 or 10 or maybe 15 foot tall Chewbacca looking freak knocks on your door looking for a payback? What are you going to do? When the Sasquatch comes for you, you don't know what you're going to do. I wouldn't know either unless I had a chainsaw or a sawed-off shotgun or maybe one of those swords they talk about at the mall. You remember that? The mall? You remember when you were a kid and you'd go to the mall, that 
building full of little shops. Isn't that a, what a mall is, that building filled with little shops? I don't know how many malls still exist. I believe they were destroyed or in the second or the third Klebic Wars of 2020. The monkey herpes ridden freaks came running out of the jungles and the swamps covered in stumptus and coffee filters. You could always tell those Krebic freaks by the coffee filters they wear on their faces. Those freaks. Yeah, it's almost May. Uh, just if you do or do not know, uh, my listeners out there, However you're listening on Spotify until I am banned, on Anchor until I am banned, or on Bluehost as an MP3 download until I am banned. It's fine. I'm okay with it. I really think that those are problems of 2019. And believe me, they won't be real problems real soon. This last weekend, uh, my business partner and my good friend Justin and I went to the Be Prepared Expo in Sandy, Utah. It was on Friday and Saturday, I believe 22nd, 23rd. And on 23rd, we had a class, a, a little infomercial and or discussion of radios and computers and how it's possible to network two or more computers using CB radio. Now, it's not lightning fast, no. But it also doesn't have, you know, billions and trillions of irreplaceable infrastructure between it and the other computer. It doesn't require satellites or rocket launches. And you can reach out and talk to somebody hundreds and thousands of miles away using low signal strength, JS8 call, on 11 meters, 27.245 megahertz. And with the digital, you can play chess. You can send text messages. You can send headlines over CB radio. We did that about a month ago. And so we did the class, and it went pretty well. The show went pretty well. Um, we met a lot of interesting people I need to get the emails out to by tomorrow. Uh, probably should have got them out yesterday. Today, just not in that place to do it. But tomorrow morning, I'll get them out. Thank you, emails. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you for letting us set up our table at your show about being prepared, about getting ready for some type of thingy that could happen, whatever it is. Could be the great earthquake that is foretold in the ancient texts of the Mormon church. Could be the chasm that opens up under Salt Lake. Could be the Sasquatch, like I said. 
jealous of our craft beer could be the dogs because they want our bones. No, the Be Prepared Expo was a prepper show, right? Prepper. I think that word gets used, uh, it gets used in a context of mockery to make fun of people. So I don't even really like the word. What I would say is it was a bunch of interesting people who had unique solutions to problems that involve certain risks, you know, risks of things that can happen. You know, disasters happen, power goes out. You know, there was definitely millions of years, if you believe what you're told, when humans didn't even have electricity. And in the history of electricity, there's never been a time where they can guarantee it'll be on. So there were people with interesting solutions to that. And there were people selling knives and guns and guns that shot knives. And that was interesting too, when you think about it. But do you remember going to the mall to get back to that original topic? You remember how they had that store that sold swords and knives and fucking whatever? They sold the samurai swords, those fucking, you know... Those Ginzu knives too, didn't they? That you can commit you know what with, hey... Remember those stores in the malls that used to sell swords? So yeah, the Prepper Expo was interesting. Um, we did not win the deuce and a half. That was too bad. That happens. You don't always win the deuce and a half. The Lord in heaven doesn't owe you a deuce and a half. You might think it owes you a hemet or a gamma goat, and yes, I'm rattling off the names of weird army vehicles. Um, you might think the Lord owes you a hemet, because hemets look like those crazy things they had in, what was that Damnation Alley film, the post-nuclear apocalypse film that had Jan Michael Vincent in it? If you've never seen Damnation Alley with Jan Michael Vincent, and also George Papard and a a cavalcade of, of other actors doing their thing. But yeah, the Hemet kind of looks like that vehicle from Damnation Alley, from the front, not the whole vehicle. It's just interesting, you know. Maybe somebody saw that movie and said, you know what, or it probably reversed. Probably somebody saw a Hemet and said, holy crap, that looks like something from space. something sent her to save us. Something from space to save us. Save us from ourselves. To save us from our sloth. To save us from our, you know, what we do to each other with rocks or whatever. Save us, man.
the class went well. Um, the show went well. Like I said, we met a lot of interesting people. There was this one booth next door that sold pyro putty. Pyro putty. It's really nutty. It, it's the chum you stick up your bum. It's the crack inside your whack. Yeah. No, it had a really cool video that told you it was the fire that kept the light going and it was the light that lit the fire. And once you lit the fire, it was like, you know, John Travolta, 1977 or something. But I couldn't get that, that ditty out of my head, the pyro putty thing. It had a really strong base of like a good porno film. And it didn't have that much in terms of dialogue or rather monologue because it was a commercial. Playing continuously all day long for two days in a row. Pyro putty. We are the light that keeps things bright. We're the soup inside your poop. We're the lightning inside your frightening. You can take us and, you know, set your world on fire. Pyro putty. Pyro putty. Somewhere off in the distance gets quite scary, man. Somewhere trapped. pretty cool stuff. This pyro putty, as you may or may not imagine, is a putty, but it's a putty designed for low and high temperatures, and you can set it on fire in bad conditions with your magnesium match or whatever, and it'll just burn and burn and burn, like that burning anger you have towards that girl or guy that dumped you at the junior prom. You were going to get married and go to Mexico to raise goats. And she dumped you there for Chad. She left you for Chad. Or maybe to put it in a military context for Jody. She left you for Jody, man. She left you for Jody for Chad. She left Chad for Jody for Mike. And then John came along and stole Chad's girl. And now Jody thinks he might be gay. Because that's love. I don't want to mock pyro putty. It looked useful. It also looked like something you could mix metal shavings with and maybe a little bit of phosphorus and red phosphorus and maybe make a kind of 
plastic version of a thermite weapon. But that's all I could think of when I was sitting at the tables. Wow, what about thermite that you could treat like plastic explosive? They probably already have that. I know someone once mentioned this nanothermite that they painted onto the columns of the World Trade Center building. I don't want to talk about it. I have no idea what happened on 9-11. Guess what? Neither do you. If you were to send me an email and say, I know someone, I knew someone, I think that 9-11 was a snuff flick, which in the categorization of psyops puts more emphasis on realism than fakery, whereas the, the pandemic was pretty much all fake with a little bit of killing. Because you got to kill a few people if you want to convince them that it's real. You know, you have to. It's part of the, it's part of the truthiness of it all. So maybe they already have like a thermite plastique that you can wrap around some type of a doorknob at your girlfriend's old apartment. You can break in and steal her diary and read about how Chad makes love to her. Or Jody. You can learn about Jody and his big cock. If you have that thermite that comes in a little egg, like plastic egg, but it's not called pyro putty. It's called, yeah, nutty putty. Nutty putty is a special kind of putty. It works like, like thermite. You wrap it around the doorknob. Nutty putty. It comes in a little plastic egg. Just like silly putty, but it's not silly, it's nutty. There's a big fucking difference, buddy. You'll notice, you know, when you see the sparks, baby. Nutty putty. On sale at Sklavens. On sale at Grimgo's. On sale at 7-Eleven, right next to the condoms. Nutty putty. It's the plastic thermite that'll melt your heart, you fuck. Nutty Putty will be on sale for Christmas and it'll be made cheap so the kids can buy it. They can buy it for their friends. They can buy it for their parents. College kids will love it. They'll mix it with wax from the weed store and it'll light them up and they'll get lit. Some will be destroyed, but the strong will lead a new race of potheads. They'll build spaceships. Spaceships that'll take them to Mars.
day. Human civilization will be on every planet in this sector. And kids around Christmas time will play with a little plastic orb filled with, you know, a malleable thermite. And they'll remember with glee and joy that time one Christmas long ago when Nutty Putty was in everybody's, you know, stocking. Nutty Putty. I think Nutty Putty is better than Pyro Putty and way better than Silly Putty, but Pyro Putty seemed pretty cool. I mean, I don't know if you could sell a malleable thermite at the grocery store. I don't know. I, I, I feel like somebody would step in and say, you know, that's illegal. You can't sell thermite at the 7-Eleven. But I say to you, dear sir, why not? I mean, why not? You know, you got that really cool ATM uh, that doubles as a casino and a, and a crypto thingy that never pays out. So why don't you take the nutty putty and put it around the lower section of that ATM machine and get yourself a loan from the Federal Reserve? But Dan, that's wrong to just take money like that. Listen, uh, for all you freaks out there, among many other things, U.S. military drove around the lands of Afghanistan for 20 fucking years handing out bricks of $100 bills to pedophiles and rapists and people who sold heroin to soldiers with PTSD who would overdose on that heroin. So before you talk about stolen money, believe me, buddy, I'm not fucking interested. You live on the fucking Death Star. Every fucking dollar you earn is fucking stolen. It was made up. It was created out of nothing. The Federal Reserve decided to magic something into existence, and it was magicked into existence. The bank decided to do the same thing. But you are told that these systems are good, and they're good for you, and they're here to help you. Well, that's nutty. So why don't we have a putty that matches the nutty? I think that that's kind of like the real deal right there. You know, we need a, a silly putty that matches the age. A nutty putty. We could do the same thing with Nutella. Gutella. No, some type of Nutella you could sell, and but you could call that nutty putty because what is it? Ground up whatever nuts, beech nuts or something? I don't care what kind of nuts are in Nutella. But it's chocolate flavored, Dan. It's Nutella. It's chocolate flavored. <sighs> I know. Yeah, so that's where we're at right now. I know that's a weird way to talk about what's going on with rad engineering, but the reality is it was a really good show. Our class went pretty well. We got about as much, you know, how can I put this, flack from certain sectors as we, ex as we expected, and that's where I'll leave it. But overall, we attracted a lot of interesting people. They had a lot of great questions, and we talked about how you can connect, you know, two or more computers using a CB radio with single sideband. And yeah, it's not quite that simple. What is? 
But I will tell you something. It could be the difference between life and death, as, as crazy as that sounds. And you don't even have to buy anything from us. You can learn to do, do this yourself. Um, if you go to Quick Start Ham Radio on YouTube, that's Quick Start Ham Radio. My friend Justin has tons of videos that teach you how to do everything that, yes, we'll do. We'll package up and we'll do, but you can do this yourself. Um, you can install JSA Call. You can set up an antenna. There are things you can do. It's not beyond your capability. And we're going to take the class we did. I have to do this. is on my list of things to do. But we're going to take the class and we will make it available. I have some video. I'm going to have to do some editing because it didn't turn out exactly the way I wanted to. But there will be the audio, I think, from the class available um, hopefully this week or next week. Um, I'm going to try to get it done as soon as I can. But the one thing about being around a lot of people like that is sometimes it'll just suck the life out of me. And it's not because I hate people. It's just, you know, most of the people you're around right now, if you could, if you could really listen to them and not stare at your smart device, most of them are just vibrating with angst. You know, battling with their paradigm. America, for 10 years at least, I would argue for at least 10 years, has been stuck in denial, anger, bargaining. Denial, anger, bargaining. Ever since the financial crisis of 2008, denial, anger, bargaining. It's like a turning circle. We keep going around and around and around, you know. And every day you see some new article, some new statement, some new thing that's supposed to convince you, well... Listen, it's 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 the China shut down, so we can't get the containers. It's the pandemic that, uh, for the life of me, living where I lived in 2020, it should have killed me, but it never did, and I didn't see anybody get killed. Yeah, it's the pandemic. It's the race war. It's this, it's that. Brothers and sisters, in 2019, my favorite grocery store, that well, not really my favorite, but the only one I could get to in a reasonable amount of time, had one security guard on duty, okay, basically. By the end of 2019, there were like three or four. And believe me, there were people making the mad dash with food in October and November of 2019. I make this point because that's before the monkey herpes, that's before the race war, that's before the Ukraine bullshit. All of it. Unless you believe there's some sort of time traveler afoot, it was clear to me in 2019 that the wheels were coming off. And a lot of people saw that. A lot of CEOs decided to retire in 2019 because they saw that. So I'm going to read an article, but before I do, I want to make one thing abundantly clear, okay? In order for this article to disturb you in any way at all, in terms of logic, in terms of reality, there are a couple things you have to believe. Number one, you have to think the story is true. And as I pointed out in recent months, and I try to point this out every podcast because it's a little bit of intellectual self-defense that I'm giving away for free. Don't just assume because you read it on, you know, online on CNN or the New York Times that it is true. All of these outlets, as a matter of public record, have been caught in error. They have, all of them. So making that assumption isn't even logical, okay? If you, if you say, well, I'm going to read this article and it must be true, it might be true. And it might be the case that the journalist is honest. It might be the case that 
that particular journal journalist is serious about not messing with people. But the reality is there's no way to know. So before I read this article, there's one thing you need to ask, and that is, do you think the article is true? The other thing you need to ask is, how quote-unquote true do you think the Ukraine conflict is? The conflict between Russia and the Ukraine, and, and ostensibly other entities. If you think it's really happening, and it's a hot war, and every story we're told is true, that is one perspective. There are other perspectives of people who would say, it looks mostly like wag the dog bullshit. You know, a lot of PSYOP bullshit, probably with some snuff flicks thrown in, but, but a lot of bullshit. I'm in between on this one. A few, you know, weeks ago, really, about a month or so ago in February, when all this start, well, before this started, actually, I said the following. If Putin decided to do this thing, we should hope it happens quickly, like rapidly, like it's over quickly, because the longer it lasts, the worse it is. I stick to that, okay? We're now in like, what, month month three almost of this um, special military operation? And before you think I'm taking the side of NATO, I am not. I am not. I, I kind of thought Putin was smarter than this. I, I think this entire situation was a kind of setup. On the other hand, it hasn't played itself out yet. So before I read this article, you need to know, I don't have any sides in this fight. Frankly, the United States shouldn't. The Ukraine, the, the, the country, the nation of, of Ukraine had a kind of crooked government for most of its history since the end of the Cold War. And during Soviet times, it was 100% crooked. So the Ukraine, per se, has had a crooked government for a long time. That's number one. Number two, Prior to the Russian Revolution, the Ukraine, as we understand it, parts of it were, were part of historical Poland, but the rest was under the control of Russia. Good or bad, right or wrong, for several hundred years, the Ukraine was under the control of Russia, as was the Crimea, which means for roughly the same amount of time as Texas has been American and way longer than Puerto Rico has been under the United States control. So when people say things like, well, but it's not even Russian people. Yeah, but the United States never gave a fuck about that. From our very beginning, we saw, well, not us. I don't think ordinary free people would have chosen this stupid shit. And I don't think the Articles of Confederation would have ever allowed it. Nobody would have built an army to do the crooked shit that the army did for the first and second half of the 19th century. But the fact is, once the ink was dry on the fucking Constitution, they were building an army to round up people that have lived there for hundreds and thousands of years. Period. There's no debate about that. We can all have arguments about the Crimea and Puerto Rico, but we, for more than half of our history, stole from people who had been here for thousands of years. So if you're going to give me some fucking argument about historical precedents, shut the fuck up. There is a better argument to be made by every Native American community in this country today than any motherfucker in Crimea or any motherfucker in the Ukraine, period. Before I read this article, understand where the fuck I'm coming from. There are no good guys in this fight. None. Now let me read the fucking article. This was published today, this afternoon, 
And the author is the nom de plume, Tyler Durden, headline, U.S. Intel helped Ukraine shoot down Russian plane carrying hundreds of paratroopers. And let's just clarify, hundreds should mean at least 100 and less than 1,000. Pentagon and top State Department officials have insisted this week that the U.S. and NATO are not fighting a proxy war against Russia in the Ukraine. But then we get bombshell reports like the following out of NBC, with unnamed defense and intelligence officials positively boasting about the damage being done to the invading forces, including shooting hundreds of paratroopers out of the sky who were in an IL-76 military transport plane. That's an Aleutian 76. And I quote, as Russia launched its invasion, the U.S. gave Ukrainian forces detailed intelligence about exactly when and where Russian missiles and bombs were intended to strike, prompting Ukraine to move air defenses and aircraft out of harm's way, current and former U.S. officials told NBC News. And then comes this stunning admission. That near-real-time intelligence sharing also paved the way for Ukraine to shoot down a Russian transport plane carrying hundreds of troops in the early days of the war, the officials say, helping repel a Russian assault on a key airport near Kiev, NBC writes. The revelation comes almost two months after, in early March, Biden administration officials divulged to the press the United States was sharing real-time intelligence with Ukraine. Apparently, these efforts have not only greatly expanded at this point, but are possibly resulting in significant battlefield losses for Russia. The NBC report continues, It was part of what American officials call a massive and unprecedented intelligence-sharing operation with a non-NATO partner that they, all have, that they say has played a crucial role in Ukraine's success to date against larger and better-equipped Russian military. Within the very, you know what, folks, you can read the, fu- the rest of this fucking shit yourself. The link is in the notes. I'm not going to read anymore. I can't. Because if this story is bullshit, then why read it? Why introduce more crap into the general consciousness of humanity? But let's talk about for a second just the, just the facts. Let's say this is true. The United States shared command control C4I military technology with the Ukraine, with Ukraine, in order to do something like this. When we started Lend-Lease in the late 30s, you know, basically after Poland, when we started, really formally started Lend-Lease after Poland was invaded... We sent ships across the Atlantic, and many of these ships were attacked. They were attacked by U-boats. That means Americans, ordinary Americans, drowned in the Atlantic, in the North Atlantic, in 1940. They drowned out there. They did. And this is before the U.S. formally entered World War II, right? Now, you can have whatever opinions you want to about Hitler. I'm no fan of Hitler. But the fact is, we were, we were selling weapons to one of Hitler's enemies, and so Hitler saw our ships as a legitimate target. I think the 1967 war, um, the Six Day, I think it was the Six Day War between 
Israel and, and Egypt. The Israelis attacked first. Okay, they had a major preemptive strike. And, and they tried to claim, well, they didn't have a choice. They had to attack first. And that's fine. But again, you find that the rules and laws of war, as neatly packaged as the Catholic Church had them for thousands of years, are very, very flexible, a lot like pyroputty. You know, people talk about the rules of war or, you know, jus ad bellum, jus in bello. You know, what is a just war and what is considered just to do in a war, which means how do you justify a conflict? And then what can you do if you're in a conflict? This is this is the law of war stuff that goes back really to the Middle Ages. And it's been part of the corpus of military combat with, res with respect to warfare for a long time in the West. Okay, not in the East, not in the South, but basically amongst Europeans. If in fact the United States is using U.S. military assets to help the Ukrainians target, um, target facilities, especially if they're in places like Russia itself, you know, you could make the rather sketchy argument, well, it's okay to do it in Ukraine, but we have evidence that we're doing it in Russia. And if, if in fact we help to shoot down a plane filled with Russian soldiers, I don't know how to put this, brothers and sisters. I studied the Second World War. The Russians lost a shitload of people. But what's really important is that by the time we entered the war, by the time we got to Europe, 75% of all German strategic forces were focused on the Eastern Front. Period. 75 fucking percent. When we invaded, when we invaded in 1944, when we launched Operation Overlord, at that time, the West was treated like a vacation. And even after we gained ground, they would cycle divisions. The Germans would cycle divisions from the Eastern Front to the Western Front because it was a way for them to get a fucking break. Several people that studied this issue after, the world, after world War II figured out that on average, and these are U.S. Army people during the height of the Cold War. This isn't a bunch of hippies or beatniks. They figured out that a German division during the Second World War was 11% more efficient than an American division, okay? So if these really efficient, highly trained German forces that were, you know, about as well equipped as they could be at the time, were ground to dust by the Russians, why do we think we will do any differently? And I know that people want to make the argument, well, the Russians are weak and the Russians don't have the technology we have. I have no idea what technology they have. Neither do you. Okay? The CIA, going on a long time, and a good example is the missile gap of the 60s that turned out to be total fucking bullshit. Okay? The CIA has a history of amping up these threats, making these threats seem superhuman, okay? So you can believe the CIA when they're telling you the Russians have this hypersonic threat that will destroy us, or you can believe the DOD and the CIA when they tell you the Russians are not a threat at all. But you can't believe both. You can believe them when they tell you they need more money because the Russians and the Chinese are developing super weapons. Fine.
And you can believe them when they say the Chinese and the Russians are paper tigers and they don't have anything fine. But you cannot believe both, and this is really important. If you believe this story is true, then the United States is at war with Russia, whether you like it or not. And it's really up to the Russians whether or not it becomes personal. If we do anything outside of the military context, like let's just say for the sake of argument, we help the Ukrainians with a nice little surgical operation, but we kill a bunch of civilians and they're Russians. And it's on the Russian side of the, of the line that's so critical, okay? So critical. I mean, even though Russian civilization begins in the Ukraine, it's so fucking critical to have that fucking line, right? But let's say on the other side of the line, within those eight driving hours between the Ukraine border and Moscow, because that's how far it is. It's about eight to ten driving hours from the border of the Ukraine to Moscow. And why is this critical? Because the Germans almost sacked Moscow in 1941. And if they had been that close at the beginning of the war, it would have been a slam fucking dunk. But getting back to it, let's just say the United States assists the, the whatever neo-Nazis are left there and other types of scum, because it's really a lot of scummy people that are fighting for the Ukraine right now. It really is. There are a lot of innocent people being killed, but there are a lot of shitty people being pulled in. All right? So let's say some Nazi, you know, thinks that he's, I don't know, Colonel Otto Skorzeny or something, and he decides to put a bomb on his back and go across the border and take out some, some Russians. That's no, no longer, that's not soldiers and that's not the, you know, Ukraine. That is their land, their people. What do you think these people are going to do that grew up on stories from their grandparents about the Great Patriotic War? What do you think they're going to do when they see these dumbass Ukrainian Nazis pretending to be SS threatening them? Do you think for a moment Mr. and Mrs. America, who've kind of approved of a weird perspective on reality, all about make sure you don't trigger people. What the fuck kind of trigger do you think that is? I'll tell you. It involves a story. In the spring of 1990, I was taking a, a class from the Jackson School at the University of Washington, and it was being taught by a renowned professor that had worked, you know, I think she'd worked in the Kennedy administration as a diplomat. She was an expert. And of the many fucking things she told us, she thought, you know, it's so great what, it's so great what Tito did, what Marshal Tito did in Yugoslavia, removing all ethnic hatred, you know? And I remember being one of the, the, the slow people, the not-so-smart people who would raise his hand and say, how do you know this? And she'd laugh, ha, 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 well, we just know. We know from intelligence. I, mean, I guess the same intelligence that was so successful in September of 2001. But needless to say, a few months later, um, the people of Yugoslavia were starting to bash each other's brains out. Okay, Marshal Tito didn't fix shit. The Yugo, that crappy car, didn't fix shit. Being a partial member of the EU did not fix shit. Within three years, they were murdering each other by the fucking thousands. Thank you very much, Jackson School motherfucker. 
You want to understand what World War II was to a Russian? Understand that just about everybody lost somebody. And yeah, Joseph Stalin was a giant fucking creep. But he was our ally, right? Now you got to meditate on that crooked shit too. Joseph Stalin, who murdered a lot of people, and by the way, he wasn't Russian. He was Georgian. Don't be a fucking moron. Joseph Stalin, a giant fucking sociopathic creep, was our principal, critical ally during World War II. That's also something you should fucking think about when you think about this stupid fucking war. All right? It is not as simple as good guys versus bad guys. There are no good people conducting military operations in Ukraine today. None. Not the Ukraine army, not the Russians. They are all scum from my perspective. I can understand the Russian argument. It's a compelling argument. But I would say this. Even if the Russians had a good position to invade Ukraine, it's hard to see how this turns out well for anybody. Yes, it could end up being okay for the Russian people, but other people will suffer, and Ukrainian people, ordinary people, are suffering right now. And as far as Zelensky goes and the other CIA stooges, I wish they would all hang. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, we haven't had a quote-unquote legitimate government in my lifetime. The, the Biden administration, it doesn't fit any definition of legitimate. So they're all pretty much criminals and murderers. They all, they've all participated in the various psyops that are scaring people to death. They are, by definition, guilty of crimes against humanity. All those fuckers are, to include your good friend Donald fucking Trump. They should all hang. If you believed in a rule of law, they would be heading towards that, yeah, towards the gallows right now. If you believed in that bullshit, please. I don't want to spend too much time on this because I got more stuff that's really dark. But in my humble opinion, if you think any of this is real and you believe we did shoot down this plane, then this is bad, okay? In terms of the calculus of World War III, this is really bad. In fact, the Rand Corporation, um, which is a really crooked kind of thing to talk about because they're like the CFR and the Brookings Institution, lots of these you know, offloading places for the CIA brain trust. But the Rand Corporation during the Cold War, you know, um, sponsored, funded a lot of studies on nuclear combat in World War III. And the general consensus of almost every study to include the classic on nuclear war, I believe by Herman Kahn, the general consensus was do not trivialize escalation. Don't trivialize it. Don't immediately pull the trigger because if you do that, you cannot go back. The actual intelligent people who came up with the strategy to keep the world from blowing itself up would probably look at what the Biden administration is doing and say you're fucking batshit crazy, okay? No matter how you feel about the Russians, no matter how you feel about what's happening, if you've decided to use U.S. military assets to help target and shoot down Russian planes, then you are in the game. And if you're going to try to tell me that there's some international law that applies here, fuck you for being in Afghanistan for 20 years. 
Fuck you for stealing Syrian fucking oil. What the fuck law do you respect? Shut the fuck up. This is not about that. This is about behavior and game theory. What Herman Kahn would tell you is shut the fuck up with your rules of war. We all know you break them. Don't ask yourself that stupid fucking question. Ask yourself, what will your opponent likely do? Don't ask what they should do. That's what a fucking moron does. Ask what they will do or probably will do. Use intelligence and research, but just don't pretend that whatever vague notion of right and wrong bounces around your skull, bounces around anywhere fucking else. And if you're the United States of America at this point in human history and you're giving speeches about the rules of war, shut the fuck up. There are millions of dead people in Afghanistan, in Iraq, all around the world. You have Southeast Asia polluted for a thousand years so babies aren't going to be born right. You've got depleted uranium all over the Gulf, all over the Middle East. So if you're going to tell me about rules of war, law of war, shut the fuck up. Okay? We're way beyond this now. But if you want to make sure the United States doesn't get nuked to death, then you should ask this other question. What are they likely to do? And like I said, 60, 70 years, whatever, I guess you could say roughly 50 years from the beginning of the Cold War to the end of it, very smart people ask these questions, including a mathematician by the name of John Nash. And the conclusion he came to and others came to is you don't want to monkey around with this. Escalation is a dial. Okay, there's zero and there's a hundred. Everything the Biden administration has done so far has taken it from zero to at least 80, which means that we have a, a narrow band. If you think this is real, if you think there's a war going on, we have a narrow band that prevents this from becoming a nuclear, a nuclear conflict. Very narrow. And like I said, most of you fuckers out there, and I don't mean my listeners, but the crazy people who support this war, these are the same fuckers who talk about triggering and microaggression and all kinds of other weird quasi-psychological bullshit. Well, okay, can I use your logic against you? Apply that to the grandchild, to the grandson, to the granddaughter of someone whose great-uncle, great-aunt were killed by the Nazis. And maybe not so gloriously. Like maybe just dumped into a ditch someplace. Try to explain to them how, you know, how they should respond to this. I will tell you, they'll probably respond about as bad as anybody from the South post-Civil War in the year 1880. Probably about that well. Maybe 1900. That's the level you're going to be at and so what Biden has done has been very dangerous. That's the simplest way to put it if you believe this is true. Now, I want to back up from this for a second and say there have been a lot of stupid stories in the news about food processing plants blowing up and problems with containers being offloaded from China. And even though China did everything right with COVID, they're constantly still shutting down cities. There is a common theme to almost all these stories, and that is, we have an excuse for why nothing, why there might not be something at the store. Here's an excuse why there might be missing items at the grocery store. So we don't really know if these stories are true. We don't. I can't verify one fucking story so far. 
I, I have weird tangential versions of reality from people that I barely trust, but in terms of verifiable evidence, none. In fact, the, the, the very meager amount of data I have concern, you know, concerning the PSYOP since 2020 is that a lot of what we're being told about Australia is probably not true. So we're being told on the one hand, it's this giant lockdown state. And on the other hand, you talk to some friend in Australia and they say that's bullshit. So it's hard to know whether or not the United States is the main target of this manipulation. It could be. And if that's true, this is good news because that means, you know, well, it means it's probably dollar collapse, but that's as bad as it gets. And that's going to be really, really bad, by the way. It's, it's, if you think it's already bad, if it's the collapse of the petrodollar, you ain't seen nothing yet. Next topic. Yeah, next topic. This is a longish one in a way, and I don't know. So, um, <clears throat> so in 2018, the summer of 2018, uh, the year I went back to Seattle, the first year I did, I was working different kinds of jobs and I was coming home one day in July of 2018 and I noticed something that was weird, that it was hard to breathe. And people talk about the Pacific Northwest like, well, it's so clean there, clean and fresh, fresh like the morning sky, clean and fresh in the Pacific Northwest. But the skies were orange and brown. They were really gross and polluted and the air was barely breathable. And yeah, it was a city, it was Seattle, but it was not something I'd ever experienced in Seattle. And I had, I had some gas lighters try to tell me, well, didn't we have forest fires when you were a kid? Of course we did. But the entire Northern Hemisphere, and I, this is a slight exaggeration, was not on fucking fire, okay? It was a few forests here, a few forests there, okay. The other thing I noticed when I came back to Seattle, other than the consistent articles about how the orca whales were dying and going away, or that, you know, the consistent articles about, you know, in the local newspapers about salmon runs drying up, the other thing I noticed is that when I went around the Puget Sound, comparing it to when I was a kid, and if you want to get me with, you know, Elizabeth Loftus, you can't trust your memory bullshit, gaslight yourself all the way up your fucking butt. Needless to say, when I used my experiences as a kid and compared them to the Puget Sound in 2018, the Puget Sound in 2018 looked fucking trashed. I went on a hike with a friend in the woods in 2019, a year later, and it was quiet as fuck. Totally quiet. You say, well, aren't woods... No. The forest growing up was not quiet. The forest, if it's alive, is not supposed to be quiet. It also didn't have much of a smell. Any kind of smell. It was quiet and didn't have much of a smell. Another thing I noticed, and it was weird, is that in the spring and summer, when I was a kid, you'd see cars, and they would be caked with bugs. All across the windshield, caked with them. And this wasn't just in Seattle. I've noticed this everywhere I've been in the last 10 years. Really, yeah, mostly the last 10 years, whether it was Indianapolis, Seattle, or any other fucking place. I look at the windshield of the vehicle and rarely do you see that splattering of bugs you'd see when you were a kid. 
Once the monkey herpes pandemic started up in 2020, I noticed something else that was interesting. Um, a lot of predatorial birds, birds of prey, started moving into downtown Seattle. It wasn't just the flying trash pandas, the eagles. It was various hawks, various owls, and more and more all the time. And you'd say, well, Dan, they're just, yeah, they're looking for food is what they're looking for. They were coming into the city not because they'd had so many babies. They were coming into the city because they were hungry. And because whether or not you believe this or not, these animals are not stupid little Cartesian clocks. And they may not have the intelligence you have, but they have enough smarts to know they'd rather not be fucking hungry. So I, so prior to 2020, I started doing my own research and looking into this issue. And before I continue, I've already said this. In terms of propaganda theory, Greta Thunberg and Al Gore are called the fool, okay? That's the role they play. Their, their role is to take a serious issue and make it look like a dumb issue. It isn't the reverse, okay? Leaders throughout history do not give a fuck how funny funny is, but they really do care if there's an issue they want to cover up, and so they'll take a fool like a Greta Thunberg or an Al Gore, and they'll put them in front of the fool train, and they'll say, look at all these fools. So when people say things like, well, what about Al Gore and Greta Thunberg? If you think their existence uh, somehow proves that the environment is okay, please do some more work yourself intellectually. Put down your glowing fucking rectangle and look the fuck around. Al Gore's a fool. Greta Thunberg is a fool. The reason why the deep state uses fools like these is to take a serious fucking issue and make it look like a fucking joke. That's number one. Number two, if they're telling you it's because of your cheeseburgers and your SUV and those cows, if they're telling you it's because of that, that we might be on the verge of a problem, that's also probably a lie. That is their MO. They love to blame Basically, victim blaming is how is one of the ways the government works. It really is. It's one of the ways the grift works is by attacking people have, who have no way to fight back. And in this case, ordinary, everyday fucking people who are working their butts off to barely etch out a little bit of joy. And then they're being gaslit day and night. Well, but you're, what you're doing is evil by the same motherfuckers who in all likelihood by, I don't know, August of this year are going to ask you to bail out the oil companies. Did you hear what I fucking said? August, September, this year, 2022, I would not be surprised if there isn't some too big to fail fucking thing for the oil companies in the United States. And why? Because that particular grift has reached the end game. And that's how that stupid game ends. The same people that would tell you you're evil for driving your SUV are the same people that cover up the fact that there are a lot of child laborers in Africa digging for those various precious metals you need for your fucking electric car and your fucking glowing rectangle you think is all environmental and shit. You know, wake the fuck up. Understand what's going on. So don't throw Greta and Al Gore at me and don't throw global warming bullshit at me because all I know is that they're lying to us. That's all I know. Here's another thing I know. When the government tells you something's going to happen in a hundred years, and I know I've said this before, but this is important. I'm going to say it again. 
If the government says something will happen in a hundred years, this is all you really do know is true. Either A, it will never fucking happen, or B, it's already happening. If the government tells you they're researching geoengineering, we're just looking into it, it looks interesting, we might use it. If the government says they might use geoengineering, chances are A, they never will, or B, they are already doing it. And they're just trying to massage you psychologically into the fucking groove. In 2019, when it seemed pretty clear to me, and I've said this in a previous podcast, but in 2019, when it seemed clear, obvious to me that um, the wheels were coming off, I did a podcast in November called The Great Discontinuity. And I don't claim any type of ownership of that concept. Other people who've discussed this have talked about this period of history in terms of discontinuous mathematics and discontinuous systems. So when I talked about the great discontinuity, I was using that concept on my own, but others have also talked about very similar things. One of the features of the great discontinuity is that history's become unstuck. Okay, for a long time in that, you know, Francis Fukuyama bullshit world of, of endism, people had assumed history it was over, but it wasn't. Um, history had become unstuck in 2019. And everything the powers that be have done since then is as a way to manage it. It's just a question of how bad bad is, and I have no idea. In 2015, over lunch, I had a conversation with some friends of mine, and we were talking about, well, what do you think is going to be the situation in five or six years? Like, this was 2015, Indianapolis. And I remember after having lunch, I wrote an essay, which the link to is in the notes, called The Odds of Survival. And I worked out all the specific details from my perspective. Maybe I can pull out a nugget from this thing, and we can read it together. And this is from the first page. This is the worst case and most likely scenario. Our government and other governments get pulled into a world war, which inevitably becomes a nuclear war. You might as well write off most of the world, including America. I would be surprised if there were 20 million healthy Americans left in the U.S. after five years. Might be closer to 2 million. The world population would go from around 7 billion to about 500 million, in five years following a nuclear war. And this is optimistic. This is one of the things I state in the essay is that to me, the most likely outcome of all the, the breakdown, the cascading failure of this overly engineered neo-Stalinist, not globe, globalist is a meaningless word, this neo-Stalinist banker system, when it started falling apart, it would fall apart in cascading and unpredictable ways. And at the time, I didn't really see it from a strictly ecosystem perspective. It was more of just a systems dynamic perspective. You know, it's like the example of the Ford pickup that I've mentioned in the past that gets 20 gallons to the mile. Just because you end up broke down on the side of the road does not imply there is no more fuel. It just means you have a shitty way of using it. That's how I see peak oil. That's how I see most of these resource issues. We've been fed a lot of bullshit, mostly by bankers and by the current system, that it's all about growth, growth, growth. But how is that a value? 
I mean, in the context of a cancer tumor, it's definitely not a value. So why would we assume growth in and of itself is good? Well, it's not. It's not good or bad. It is a feature of a system if it allows it. But when you do these kind of artificial things that government loves to do, you start doing things outside the system. And I don't mean the government system. I mean the ecosystem. I've stated this before, and I think I need to revisit this because there's a list of things I've said, and I just want to be clear. Whatever the Rona is, it's not a pandemic. If you think the Rona is a, was ever a pandemic, then you have to say, I'm an NBA ba basketball player. And as far as the Chop Chaz stuff goes, I investigated that in Seattle. That was 100% bullshit too. So I am pretty much convinced that the Rona was a PSYOP, a military psychological warfare operation, that the Chop Chaz nonsense that showed up in May of 2020 was a PSYOP, and in part, it showed up because people were starting to break through the bullshit of the Rona. Um, and I think a lot of this, the talk about, you know, Klaus Schwab and, and the WEF crap and the reset is a kind of psyop. It's not designed for ordinary people. It's designed for people that they basically want to not leave their post, to stay at their job, to stay there in the mayor's office, even as the peasants are bringing pitchforks. That's what the reset is. It's a way to convince them they'll be safe. But if you think the reset is about them having ultimate power, they had the power to turn off the fucking world in 2020. What the fuck other power did they need or want? If they could have been doing their raping, stealing, murdering, killing for another 10,000 years, why the fuck wouldn't they? So when you feed me this reset bullshit, you need to understand what the fuck they've been doing already. I mean, really, they've done it all. And if they could keep doing it all, they would. So that's also something a lot of people don't factor into their thinking about the fucking reset. All the psyops they've done so far, in some ways to include the Ukraine, but almost all the psyops have a few things in common. And there's a few basic themes. One of the themes is there's nothing we could have done about it. That's why there's no chicken or, or no eggs. Another theme is don't go anywhere. Don't go to parties. Don't hang out with your friends. Don't talk to people. Everything they've done since the spring of 2020 creates an environment where the only place a lot of people get any kind of fucking information is from their, you know, ironically named device, their smart device. But as far as like neighbors and friends, that's statistically speaking, that's mostly been shut down. PSYOPs don't tend to be that complicated in terms of the theme, the message they want delivered. In this case, the message was pretty simple. We're all going to be kind of just alone for a while. We're all just going to go home and wait for a while. We're not going to talk to our friends for a while, and we're all going to live with fear for a while. And even if some places were opened up and some places locked down, and even if Florida is a pretty open place right now, the net effect is a world that has been exposed to what I can only call global austerity, economic austerity on a global scale. Another way of thinking about it is that during World War II, they would ration food, right? You would get a ration card for gas and fuel and food and whatnot. And you would, you know, poke out a card or get a card poke with a little puncher and you had your, your fuel for today. Well, I mean, they couldn't really do that. 
But what they could do is ration human existence. They could essentially shut down life. And, and it wasn't trivial. Businesses were destroyed, mostly small businesses. People's lives were destroyed. People killed themselves because they were scared to death. So when you look at this, you can't say oops or it's a joke. It is, in fact, a crime against humanity. It was a deliberate attempt to confuse and dismay and to gaslight hundreds of millions, if not billions of people. And some of the casualties of that were people that overdosed, committed suicide, didn't treat their chronic illnesses, and simply fucking died. And maybe some of the vaccines had poison, maybe some had placebo, but that was part of the same fucking PSYOP. Brothers and sisters, pandemics are expensive if you're running the world because pandemics are random. They are. They're basically random. They follow population patterns, but within that model, they are random, which means that if you're a nuclear engineer at a boiling water reactor and you're within a certain demographic, you face the same risk as every other motherfucker in that fucking demographic, geographically speaking. So if they'd done a real biowar, we would have lost at least two or three boiling water reactors by now, if you ask me. You don't have to, though, because you'll find out pretty fucking soon when real things start happening. I also said this the last couple years consistently, that these were responses to something they did not control. This is a fuzzy event, whatever it is. It's why the collapse of the U.S. dollar empire fits, because that's kind of a fuzzy event. There really isn't a day you would pick and say, today is the day it's going to happen. You might have a supercomputer that could predict for you a range of years of likelihood, but you couldn't pick a fucking day. So it's not like they could say, okay, on this day, we're going to shut everything down. They had to pick the statistical range and then say, within that range, we are shutting things down. But whatever this thing is, they don't control it. Okay, they are responding to it. It's why these psyops get so dumb. It's why, you know, Anthony Fauci, I think, said today, the pandemic is over. But you read another headline and they'll say, China's shutting down. And, you know, some also say, oh, it's all over. And then some will say, oh, but you still have to wear your coffee filter on your fucking face. Yeah, put on that coffee filter, brothers and sisters. Keep scaring your fucking neighbor to death. That's really, really great, especially if you're a Christian. Um, so they have been lying. Let's just recap. They have been lying on a global epic scale. Their lies are apparently just continue, and they're, they're playing a kind of tag team of lies. It looks like they don't control the schedule. Um... And the scale of line is so big that I think we could assume it doesn't hide anything good. Like, I think it's a fairly straightforward axiom, you don't have to agree with it, that these types of lies, big lies like this, they don't hide good things. They don't hide a, a, a Christmas present or a, you know, a surprise party or someone's going to propose to you. These are not those kinds of fucking lies. These are huge. They're monstrous. They hurt people. So if you're going to decide to do lies like these, usually they hide something that's pretty fucking awful. That's also something I think we can kind of just accept right now. The issue of global warming is murky. But 
there's something that if you believe what you're told in terms of, of Earth's geology and geologically geological history, there's something that isn't that murky. And that is the history of of human civilization within the time span, you know, time span today, uh, between now and the last ice age, that I think ended roughly around twelve thousand years ago. There have been many huge ice ages prior to that, big enough that they more or less froze a lot of material over time at different depths. And, and a lot of it is in the Arctic because the Arctic has been mostly frozen until the last hundred years. In fact, the Arctic for the last 7,000 years has been compared to an air conditioner and a refrigerator. It's an air conditioner because it keeps the earth cool. It, um, the albedo effect reflects sunlight the 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 actual permanent ice creates a constant flow of water that acts as a kind of heat exchange system part of which is the gulf stream so the the arctic has been basically a, a heat exchanger and an air conditioner and a freezer for for thousands of years really pretty much since the last ice age and underneath the arctic and this is the this is the question mark underneath the arctic it is believed there are trillions of tons, um, perhaps trillions of tons of convertible frozen methane. And within the Arctic Circle in the permafrost, there are trillions of tons of easily convertible organics that will convert and are converting right now as a result of just ordinary biology to methane and CO2. I don't wanna get into CO2. I'm gonna be talking about methane. In recent weeks, there have been these articles in the news. And what's funny is they contradict what was in the news about five years ago. Five years ago, if you researched what was called the methane bomb or the clathrate gun, just about every news outlet would say, this is crazy, it can't happen, it's impossible, we don't have to worry about it, it'll take thousands of years. But recently... In the last year, and really the last few months, there have been articles by the same news outlets that contradict this, and where they're beginning to recognize that methane is in fact the principal culprit. Over a hundred years, that's a century, methane is 25 times more powerful a greenhouse gas than CO2. But what's really critical is how this works. Over 10 years, I think it's 100 to 200 times. Now, a woman by the name of Shakova, a professor at the University of Alaska, figured out that one 50 gigaton burst, that's 50 billion tons of methane coming from the Arctic in a short period of time, perhaps days and weeks, and she believed this is possible from the Eastern Siberian Arctic shelf, one 50 gigaton burst would raise the Earth's temperature by one degree Celsius within about 90 fucking days. That one 50 gigaton burst of methane that could happen in a few weeks or a few days would be roughly equivalent to all of the human contributed greenhouse gases of the last 50 years. And if you understand the bell curve that they throw at you, that's pretty much all of it. And that is one small fart from one part of the Arctic Ocean. The great thing about the methane bomb is as the temperature goes up, the probability of more farts increase. And I call them farts because this is kind of a serious topic, so I'm trying to make it a little bit funny. Every time the Arctic belches up some methane, 
it increases the probability more methane will be belched. It's called a positive feedback. Every time this happens, other things happen as well. As the Arctic warms, the permanent ice goes away, you run the risk of what's called the blue ocean event, and that's where the whole Arctic is opened up. And then all of a sudden, the Arctic turns from air, condi you know, air conditioner and freezer to heater. And that's really not good. And none of this has to do with a fucking cheeseburger or a fucking SUV. None of it. In fact, it's plausible that the powers that be knew about this perhaps almost up to 100 years ago. But at least for the last 60 or 70 years, they've known that this is a problem. They've known that this could happen. Again, this is a supposition. I'm trying to explain the weird lies, and I'm giving you the worst-case scenario. Best-case scenario, the reason why they've been mind-fucking you and mind-fucking me for two fucking years is because the U.S. dollar is gone. It's over. It's done. And about all they could do at this point is trigger World War III, assuming anybody would follow those wretchedly illegal orders, okay? But yeah, they could try to trigger a nuclear war. That's all they can do. That's one scenario, but that's the best case scenario. But if it is the methane bomb, and again, we're going to keep talking about what that means, if it is the methane bomb, um, then that's a, that's, not, that's a lot worse. And it also would be a fuzzy event. It wouldn't be like a comet or an asteroid hitting the Earth where you could more or less predict the day. Uh, no, this type of event is even less predictable than probably earthquakes because there's just not enough data. And if you listen to the, to the experts, they'll say that, although I think they're covering their butts, they'll say they don't have enough data. If you read about methane release in the Arctic five years ago, they would have said it's alarming, but not catastrophic. And that would have been the language, 2018, 2019. It's alarming, but don't worry about it. So the question I started asking a few days ago is why in recent weeks have these same, like I said, websites, um, newspaper outlets, journals, why have they been contradicting themselves? They're going from saying it's no big deal to, yeah, it's alarming and there's a reason for it. It's, I can't answer it. It's one of those cover-your-butt things. I, I think we could be so close to the end of this particular phase that a lot of people are just covering their asses, or, or the deep state is, and saying, well, we told you about it. We told you what could happen. And, and there were all those articles in the free press. Yeah. After you spent 20 years telling people, were, basically, after almost 20 years of saying people were stupid for being worried about methane, Nine eleven fits into a lot of conspiracy theorists' uh, perspective, but if you look at it from the perspective of the methane bomb, nine eleven might have been the demarcation point of going from what I would call the ordinary types of geoengineering that the government's been had been doing between World War II and the year two thousand. I think nine eleven marked a demarcation. I think that's when they pulled the trigger. They figured they were in at least part of the window, and what they needed was a baseline. So 9-11 shut down this country for a few days almost. I mean, it definitely shut down air travel, and it shut down a lot of cities. 
a lot of people didn't go to work, a lot of people didn't drive those cars that make all those greenhouse gases. And one of the things they noticed is that temperatures went up. Um, that was weird, right? I mean, no one's driving their bad cars and, and flying in the bad planes and the skies cleared, particulate matter fell out to include the stuff that they dump, you know, the, the stuff they say they're not dumping. Um, and temperatures went up. Uh, my theory is that was a baseline. They had a supercomputer that had predicted a rough window of time when this event would be significant. By getting the baseline, they could readjust. It's how data works, okay? Sometimes you have a good guess and it gives you a window. And the window might say the year 2000 to the year 2050. By doing the baseline, they could say, okay, it looks like it's closer to 2015 through 2025. And then I would say that it's also possible that the financial crisis of 2008 was another baseline. It's possible. Again, I'm really out on a limb here because I'm trying to explain why the governments of the world would conspire to use trauma-based mind control for two years. Why would they do that? It, it can only hurt people. And if you believe in the good government bullshit, what is your good government explana explanation for why they would do this for two years? I don't think there is one. And, and if you're going to go noble lie, then what's the thing they're lying about that's so fucking noble? It's got to be fucking bad. Okay, they're not lying about, well, next year there won't be any blue M&Ms, they'll all be purple. I mean, folks, it's not about Sasquatch or M&Ms, it's not about surprise parties. If you lie on the scale, it's not hiding something good. So what would be that bad thing? Best case, at this point, all you can say is the dollar empire is collapsing, and that's baked into the cake no matter what the truth is. So 2008 could have been another baseline. And so their window became smaller. Instead of it being 2015 through 2025, they figured, hey, it's 2019 through 2023. That's when the Arctic starts going fluky. That's when the Arctic starts passing, you know, the gas. Some people believe the monkey herpes is real. I don't want to go into it. I've explained my reasoning. I've explained my observations. I've talked about me and my friend Mike looking over the data. I've worked in hospitals, so all the horror stories that people tell me about, I could say, yeah, yeah, I saw all those in the data prior to 2020. Hospitals prior to 2020, American hospitals, killed between 100 and 200,000 people every fucking year from preventable hospital-acquired infection. And the types of infections you get from a hospital that end up killing you are horrific as fuck. Cronenberg could not fucking compare, okay? 
There's nothing that fucker could come up with that's grosser than the mold shit, the bacteria shit, and the random virus shit that people die of in hospitals. In fact, why would you build a biolab ever unless you just want to waste money? The best little creepy crawlies. If you'd asked me prior to 2020, where would you find the scariest bug? The scariest bug ever. The one that could kill every fucking person on the planet. I'd say at an American hospital, specifically Harborview Medical Center. Because I'd worked there, but I, can, I would say randomly any fucking hospital in this country. If you took a scraping off the wall, off the floor, hell. You know, just some random fucking samples of of the sheets, you would probably find things that would make whatever people thought the Rona was, yeah, look like that cheap ripoff from Yang Song in Seoul. You know, it's close, but not close enough. So I'll get this out of the way. I don't know what they're doing in the sky. If you want, if you want to send me a nasty email about contrails, just please explain to me and, and use some rationality so I don't have to make fun of you because I will, about how it is water is condensing at those altitudes, altitudes at which people basically die, where there, you know, I don't know how many atmospheres you have at 30,000 feet, but you don't really have anything close to ground level. You have to explain a lot. You have to explain why everything just doesn't disperse instantly. Sometimes it disperses quickly, but more often than not, I'm seeing these guys fly across the sky, and then the next five minutes, you know, I'm seeing a cloud formation form. So it's weird. It's not contrails. I have no fucking clue what it is. Neither do you. And as far as the weatherman goes, why don't you ask your weatherman why it is meteorologists have to sign these non-disclosure agreements and these almost national security agreements with Raytheon and other companies. Why is that? It doesn't make any sense unless there's something crooked going on. But again, this is my assumption. This is what I am coming up with based upon the facts I have. If we are in the end game, and this is where things do get dark. Like, if we're in the end game of this, and let's say it is the clathrate gun or the methane bomb, and again, it doesn't have to last 100 years. If you just had 10 years of this unrelenting increase in temperature, it's entirely plausible that 100 years from now, there'd still be life on Earth. There just wouldn't be any fucking humans because the Earth would have been cooked. It would find a new equilibrium, probably as a result of several climactic disasters, but the first one would be us being cooked like turkeys. Now, in that scenario, you don't have a lot of options, okay? But Carl Sagan, I believe back in the 60s or 70s, but I think it was the 70s, could have been the 80s, Carl Sagan, who's no longer with us, that famous American astronomer emeritus, 
Carl Sagan coined the term nuclear winter, that you could use enough nukes that would put enough stuff in the sky that would cause a small ice age or long winter. And again, that was a theory. You know, at the time, the United States and the Soviet Union and a few other countries had a lot of nuclear weapons. We still have a lot, not as many, at least from what we're told. And some of these weapons were quite powerful, like Tsar Bomba, which was a research bomb, a test bomb. But Tsar Bomba, which was dropped by the Soviets in the early 60s, they sometimes call it the bell ringer. It was 60 megatons. And the reason why they call it the bell ringer is because the shock wave from Tsar Bomba was felt all the way around the world. It rung the bell of the planet. So, so there were some really powerful bombs back then, and there still are today. And, you know, even if they couldn't do it through nuclear war, they could probably, you know, say, well, you know, set a few hydrogen bombs next to one or more calderas that look likely to explode. And if you don't know what a caldera is, it's a super volcano like Yellowstone, like Toba. And maybe say, well, yeah, we'll take one of these 20 megatons or Tsar Bomba sized bombs, you know, stick them next to the, you know, <laughs> the magma chamber of the caldera and maybe we can get a caldera going off. I can't tell you what sociopaths will do. I can tell you the United States used tactical nuclear weapons during the Cold War to frack for natural gas. So I can't tell you what people who are willing to do that are willing to do. I'm pretty certain they're willing to do some pretty fucking crazy shit. So one possibility at this stage in the game, if it is the clathrate gun, is nuclear war. That is, you know, to, to sort of cauterize the wound, to get things cooling off. Because remember, folks, and I bring this up often, every single boiling water nuclear reactor on planet Earth is built at sea level. So if there was a risk of a rapid change in sea level, that means there's a risk of all those reactors basically melting down. They will. If you'll say, well, damn, lots of water, that'll keep the reactor cool. That's not how that works. Um, It'd be nice if it were, but it's not. These reactors work on the basis of heat exchange, a lot like the Earth's oceans, a lot like the Earth's atmosphere. You have heat exchange, hot, cold, whatnot. It's why you don't really want to build a, a, nuclear, a boiling water nuclear reactor too close to the equator. They do it, but you got to be careful because the heat exchange is the issue. If you don't have heat exchange, you can't keep the reactor cool. And another thing you may not know is that even if you scram a reactor and you fully insert all the control rods without proper heat exchange, that reactor will eventually melt down. Those control rods will eventually disintegrate and you will have, you know, a Fukushima, Chernobyl type disaster. And this is just part of it. The compounding disasters of an event like this, even if it wasn't as bad as, let's say, Venus syndrome, the compounding disasters would be so big, so terrible, that as bad as nuclear war might seem, this would still seem worse. Um, and I'm not the only one to mention this is a possibility. Dane Wigington has talked about this. I've mentioned it before, but it's even been in pop culture. I mean, I think there may have been, I don't know if it was a Bond movie or one of the Mission Impossibles, but there may have even been one of these films where they talk about crazy scientists who want to trigger a nuclear war to save the Earth. There have been 
people in the environmentalist community, radicals, who propose this as a solution. You know, get rid of people, get rid of the industry, cool off the earth for a while, give it a chance to heal. Yeah, 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 you're going to have lots of radioactive fallout. But potentially, you're going to have problems with radiation anyways. Like I said, all these boiling water nuclear reactors are built at sea level for the most part. It's just not good. And I told you you wouldn't like this, talking about this. I remember a few years ago when I was talking to a friend of mine on the podcast, I said I didn't think Snow Day, which is what I call this, I didn't think Snow Day could last more than 90 days. So Snow Day more or less started in the first week of March, March, April, May, I would have expected Snow Day in 2020 to have ended by June. I did not expect it to last longer, not because I thought these people were good people, but because my base case, and I did a podcast in 2019 that you can find you know, in the archives called Screw Belief, but my base case was the Screw Belief, a just hopped up, cocaine-fed, bigger version of the great financial crisis. I did not think that they would do what they did because I didn't really think it was going to be that bad originally. I thought it was possible, and I'd and again, I thought about this angle of the Clathrate gun going back to 2018, but you know, I was thinking, what can I really say rationally at this point? The screwbilly is a few months away. That's what I could say, that you would be screwed and people with resources would be made whole, and as far as your retirement goes or whatever that means, it's gone. And another way of thinking of the screw belief is that it would be the last phase before the fall of the U.S. dollar. Best case scenario. When I started seeing what they were doing PSYOPs, I thought to myself, okay, they're doing the monkey herpes, they're doing the race war, they're doing a lot of weird nonsense around Trump, you know, Trump trauma drama and Biden. I thought, okay, what is this really about? And the longer it lasted, the worse it got. By the end of 2020, all I could tell you is I didn't have a fucking clue. All I knew was is that these lies were so fucking big that it just didn't make any sense that they were hiding something good, you know? And if the goal was this whole New World Order bullshit, they've been better off using pyramids on Mars, you know? Some type of more positive mindfuck. It would still have been terrible, like, you know, the moon landings, but at least it would have been the kind of terrible that didn't lead to people in general killing themselves. So why would they choose lies which by their nature would create carnage, by their nature would drive people to the point, of so, the point of suicide, that would destroy families, that would destroy the lives of children, perhaps an entire fucking generation or two? Why would they do it? I am surprised that it's still an ongoing thing. I'm not surprised that people are rejecting the COVID because they would eventually. Even, even the, the most powerfully believing coffee filter wearers would eventually reject the COVID, but it's not really gone yet. And I don't mean the virus, I mean the PSYOP. And there's other things. I actually have a lot of notes related to this uh, in the notes, um, and I, I just don't 
want to say too much more except for this. If it is the clathrate gun, and this is probably my own desire, not so much science, but just my own hope. If it is the clathrate gun, there's going to be a period of incredibly disruptive weather. If Dane Wigington is right about the, about the geoengineering and about the way in which they've been dumping excess heat, channeling it into the oceans, essentially, using geoengineering, they've been treating the oceans like a thermal capacitor. So when you think about the scenario, just for the moment, accept the possibility that they have been doing geoengineering and they have been artificially controlling for heat exchange and they've been treating the ocean, like I said, as a thermal capacitor to see how much energy it can store, the excess heat, the heat that can't be managed in any other way. The best case scenario after the tumult, after all the crazy weather and, and we ain't seen nothing yet, would be something called hot house earth. And this is what I sometimes call Florida man world. And you know, this would be pretty bad, way worse than dollar collapse, way worse than stagflation or hyperinflation. So before you say, well, Dan, it doesn't sound so, it'll be bad, okay? If you live below 200 feet sea level, you need to find a new home because sea level is moving. And guess what? For most of earth's history, it was higher. Earth has been a warm place for most of Earth's history, if you believe what you're told. It hasn't been a cold place, it's been a warm place. If you don't believe what you're told, you don't even have to listen to any of this shit, really. So best case scenario with the clathrate gun is that after a lot of very, very dangerous times and really catastrophic weather, we end up in a world where basically it's a lot warmer. Um, the oceans are higher, but you know, not like you know, water world crap where everything's buried in water. It's just, you know, a couple hundred feet of sea level up. And that's something people should prepare for. It also means every nuclear reactor built below 200 feet sea level needs to be immediately, you know, it, it needs to be mothballed. They need to be shutting these things down safely and removing the reactors safely. And I don't even know if they know how to do this, but it's what they would need to do, best case scenario. Way worse than this is something called Venus Syndrome. And this is where the uncontrolled warming, the positive feedback, gets worse and worse and worse to the point that you get into an uncontrolled warming event. And in this scenario, I mean, you may not know this, but at certain temperatures, and I think it's around 50 degrees Celsius, could be 40, but basically around 100 degrees Fahrenheit, photosynthesis shuts down. So if you think the plants will save you, above 100 degrees, they won't. And after that, you're doomed. There's, there's going to be no oxygen produced. It's just going to be an atmosphere filling with all kinds of gases. Methane's not the worst, and CO2 ain't so great, but there's nitrous oxide, which is about a thousand times more of a greenhouse gas um, than CO2. And then there's just water vapor. And so Venus Syndrome, would imply that the Earth would, in, in that sense, become like Venus. Probably not the same temperature. We're not as close to the sun as Venus. But the question is, could you survive on a planet where for at least a period of time, let's just say a decade, the average temperature on Earth was above 150 degrees Fahrenheit? You know, could you do it? Could you slowly get cooked like a turkey? And the answer is probably not. Maybe there are places on Earth where people could try. There might be some places in Antarctica 
peaks that are high enough, areas of Antarctica that are high enough that you can maybe set up some type of a compound down there, but where would you do it? You'd have to be doing it in bunkers. In that scenario, the Earth's temperature would be too warm, and then you have to hope that something happens to cause the Earth to cool off again. There's no guarantee. I mean, the way that Dane Wigington describes it, once it happens, we are permanently locked into a Venus syndrome scenario for at least millions of years, and that's a little bit longer than any of us can hold our breath. Another scenario, and this is related to the other side, like I think there are two sides to this. There's the uncontrolled warming, and then there's what I call the great swamp cooler. If Dane Wigington is right, and via geoengineering for the last 70 years, they've been dumping what has been quoted as, you know, three Hiroshima bombs per second of heat into the Earth's oceans, then the question is, how does that heat get discharged? Because again, normally the Earth works as a heat exchange system, and so these things just don't happen naturally. The, the heat just doesn't keep building up. You get heat exchange. One of the ways that the oceans do heat exchange is with weather, storms, hurricanes. Those events create heat exchange between the upper atmosphere, the lower atmosphere, and outer space to some extent. But what if Dane Wigington is right and they've been sitting on that for at least 20 years, maybe longer? They have been preventing heat exchange. If that's true, that they've been more or less doing that, I, mean, I know there have been some big storms, but you have to imagine in this scenario, the storms would be worse if this is actually what's happening. If that's the case, then there's two possibilities, right? The oceans slowly release their heat over time, and that could happen. But what if there was something like a rapid evaporative event? Like what if over a period of months, maybe even a couple years, but even if it was a whole year, imagine a whole year where between 15 and, well, let's just say 10 and 15% of the mass of the water in the Earth's oceans was converted to vapor. 10 to 15% of all the oceans converting to vapor over a period of a year. What would happen? Well, essentially, the way swamp coolers work is they use evaporation to do heat exchange. If this were to happen, you'd have to imagine the Earth is a giant swamp cooler. But in this case, the engine, the, the mechanism of the swamp cooler, the only one that I can imagine taking any form, is weather. It's a storm. And in this case, it would probably start out as a rainstorm that would last months. And then it would convert into snow. And in some parts of the world, you could have really, really severe weather. I mean, weather that's more severe than we could imagine. Worse than that dumb movie, A Day After Tomorrow. Way worse than that. That, that movie doesn't even remotely capture how bad this could be. If the Earth's oceans have an excess credit of energy, which means as a thermal capacitor, let's say they should be at zero, essentially, which means... Whatever they take in, they release, they manage it. But let's say there's an excess amount of energy there. Let's say it's 100%, 200%, 1,000%. The question you have to ask yourself is, at what rate would that energy be released if geoengineering stopped? And that's, again, you have to assume geoengineering is happening. Everybody can have their opinion about contrails. If, If you think that what you're seeing are contrails, God bless you, You've got nothing to worry about. 
But if they're not contrails, then it looks like a lot of fucking effort right now to get a few days that aren't so hot. And, and I got to tell you, another thing I've noticed in the last 10 years is what I call the procession of summer. Summer seems to be starting earlier and earlier. Or, or maybe a better way of putting it, their ability to manipulate winter is it's getting harder for them to actually create these winter events. And they're really spectacular in terms of that Spielberg feature, but they look weirder and less real as the years go by. The last possible one is related to the swamp cooler. Um, it, the, the, the two scenarios are, there could be a little ice age, right? We, we convert to snow, there's a little ice age, and then perhaps 10, 20 years later, our new equilibrium ends up being something like, still, I would say, hothouse Earth, and that looks pretty likely. The worst case scenario with what I call the Great Swamp Cooler, and I mentioned this before, so if you heard it, you can turn me off. The worst case scenario would be Snowball Earth, and Snowball Earth is about as bad as Venus Syndrome. It's just the opposite side of the spectrum. Snowball Earth would be a rapid cooling event that basically freezes the whole planet. And the albedo effect becomes very powerful. And ultimately, the entire planet becomes what the Arctic was for 7,000 years. So in this case, the entire planet operates as a slowly deteriorating air conditioning system that will take, you know, a few million years to get to something where humans could recognize ordinary existence, maybe several million years. Which also means it's very unlikely human, you know, any amount of humans would make, make it through that. You know, it's possible you could live in a bunker someplace, same theory. And I guess the benefit of Snowball Earth is that does help you with the boiling water reactors, but everything else is terrible and there's no food and life just gets worse and worse, a lot like Venus Syndrome. So whether, it's, whether it was Venus Syndrome or Snowball Earth, it would just be too terrible. And it's not something where you could say to yourself, well, maybe we'll come up with something. You know, for all of our technology and all of our power, we're still pretty minuscule compared to the power and energy in the planet Earth. So probably we wouldn't come up with something. Now, I don't believe it's the end of the world. Um, I want to say that straight out. I think we're in weird times. And even though I had to go down this dark road with you today, I did it on purpose because I've seen some spooky stuff in the news. And the weather also spooked me out a bit. And I felt that I should at least mention the possibility that there is an explanation for everything that's happened to include the fucking Ukraine scenario. And it is that it's, it's worse than dollar claps. Dollar claps is inevitable at this point. The only thing I've asked myself is, could it be worse? Because... These psyops just seem so dangerous and hazardous. And even though I know that these are really sociopathic people who run things, they still have to convince every, you know, a lot of everyday people to do terrible things. And in order to do that, they need some rationalization, either true or false. Because even if it was revealed, like let's say they did a press conference and they said, we got a problem, it's the methane, They'll still blame the cows and the burgers and the, and the people, but they'll come out and say it's the methane. It was always the methane. Um, even if they did that, we still wouldn't know, and this is what's so important when we're looking at these issues, we still would not know if it was the truth. Listen, 
you could take water and load it onto a plane and you could probably take it up to a very high altitude and if you added other materials to it, you could create the effect of a chemtrail or, or whatever, a contrail or a fucking geoengineering, whatever you want to call it, you could create that effect. So if they wanted to fuck with people, they could have done it. I'm not saying it's cheap. It's just cheaper than like the alternative, which is it's real. So we shouldn't just simply listen to some old man's rant about what could be the case and say, this is what's going on. I am putting this out here because I think it's possible. You know, a few years ago, I, I think I said one in four. Um, along with it being the end times, I would put this around 50%, 50-50. It explains a lot of the stupid shit they've done. It explains why, you know, they got all these weird logistical stories. Oh, you can't get this. You won't be able to get this. It explains a lot. It explains the line. Um, it, it even explains why the Trump-Biden thing had to happen. You know, it, it, it was all meant to be theater and the theater has not ended. We're meant to be amazed and astounded. We're meant to be aggravated and angered. But mostly, we're meant to watch and do nothing. Nothing at all. I mean, even Dane Wigington, who I think is a legit guy, talks about lawsuits and handing out flyers. Okay? If you believe the things that Dane Wigington believes, then how the fuck... Does a lawsuit at this point make any sense? Suing somebody on social media because they fact-checked you? If you believed half the shit Dane Wickington says, why the fuck would you be on social media? So before you, you know, say, well, someone has to be telling the truth because they sound dramatic, I would counter with a lot of propagandists are trained to sound dramatic. I, in the last, you know, 45 minutes or more, tried to lay out a chain of reasoning. And I'm not saying it's a strong chain. That's why I'm about 50-50 right now. But a chain of reasoning that explains why they would do this for two years. Why they would conduct trauma-based mind control for two fucking years on, like I said, hundreds of millions, if not billions of people. Why would they do it? Why would, they, why would they want to keep people so freaking confused and angry at this point? Keep them trapped in their homes, essentially, under house arrest for two years. Why? Dollar collapse explains it. It does. It explains the weird Soviet stories about why there's going to be you know, no meat or eggs. It explains all the dumb logistical bullshit. Dollar collapse explains that. Dollar collapse explains the Ukraine. It explains why we're there and why the whole situation is blowing up. You don't have to go past the collapse of the dollar in order to explain all of this. It doesn't mean it's going to work out for them. It's not. But it's also not the end of the world. The thing is, the dollar collapsing, it's, it's bad already. It, it'll get so much worse. Especially depending upon what you have faith in. If you have faith in Jesus, you're okay. If you have, you know, faith in your family, your friends, you're okay. But if you have faith in your social security, 
If you have faith in your 401k, if you have faith that your home is worth a million buckaroos, if you have faith that your tech job will always be there, bub, you should probably try to find faith in Jesus. It does depend upon what you have faith in, how hard this will be. <clears throat> if you believe that you live in a city that can never be destroyed, you are historically confused, and you have faith in the wrong fucking thing. The story of cities is a history of destruction. Great cities especially. There, you know, People talk about, well, what about the city of London? Ask me how many times that fucking place is burned. How many times that fucking place has been exposed to a plague that wiped pretty much everybody out? Ask me about the city of London. Ask me about Rome. Ask me about Beijing. The reality is the quote-unquote great cities, because they have great real estate, do rebuild themselves. But they are constantly, perennially, almost every 100 years, fucking destroyed for all sorts of reasons. Fires, Wars, uh, famines, insurrections, revolutions, cities get destroyed. Cities get destroyed by armies. There was a, a city called Carthage, and it was destroyed by the Romans. When they were done, they drove a ditch through it and filled it with salt. They did that. Th that place is gone. Gone. It's never coming back. Yes, some cities get destroyed and get rebuilt. <laughs> it's not going to be the same city. Some cities get destroyed and they never, ever come back. Some civilizations get destroyed and they're gone forever, period. It's part of Earth's history if you believe what they teach you at the university. It is just the way history works. So if you're holding on to the idea that you live in some special city that can never be destroyed, even if you don't want to believe any of the shit I'm saying, what you're holding on to is historically inaccurate. Anywhere, any place can be destroyed. It's just a question of when. And if you have reason to believe you live in a time and place where, for example, food will be hard to get, and if you live in a place where you get most of your food from hundreds of miles away or thousands of miles away, and food is hard to get, why do you think that food will, you know, they'll keep sending it to you? For what? The Netflix? The, the smart device that doesn't have electricity any longer, that can't be powered up, why would they send you fuel or food? Where I live right now in Utah, they got food, they got fuel, they got metal, they got geographical isolation. There's a few roads in, a few roads out, mountains east, west, and north, and deserts to the south. Okay? No one is going to be, well, not no one, an extremely small percentage of people are going to escape the cities and make it to where I live once things fall apart. And they will. If it's dollar collapse, they will fall apart. Not permanently, but they will. If it's worse than that, they will definitely fall apart. So a lot of whether or not this is really bad or the end of the world has nothing to do with fucking reality. It has to do with how you handle it. Okay? If you want to stay on board a ship that's sinking... That is your choice. That's your option. 
You can be the Harry Truman on Mount St. Helens. You can. And you can end up in outer space on your meteor with your 19 cats and your 15 bottles of whiskey heading back again our direction, aren't you, Harry? Coming back from that trip around the solar system. He's heading back on a chunk of rock. And he'll be here soon to greet us on our way up. I talked about a couple dark things because I need to get them off my chest, not because I think you should worry about them. I don't know what's really happening in, the, in Ukraine. I don't. I don't know anybody I trust that actually does. And that includes the United States government especially, okay? If, if somebody tells you to wear a coffee filter for two years because some weird bug is crawling up your toilet, then I don't know why you're trusting them on Ukraine. Why? I have no idea. They don't seem to be a trustworthy source of useful information. But listen, if the Ukraine scenario is true and we're already using a lot of U.S. tech to do things in Russia, remember, folks, there are people that, well, what about Vietnam? Since when did the Soviets attack anybody in the continental United States during Vietnam? This is not like Vietnam. This isn't like the fucking Korean War. This is not even a normal proxy war because the problem is this is happening at the Russians' border. So a better example would be the chaos in Mexico 120 years ago when, you know, about the time Black Jack Pershing went in with a division of troops and did pretty much nothing. That would be a better example, but not even that good of an example. All right. This is not Vietnam. This is not the war on terror. There are already cases, if you believe the news, of the, of the Ukraine military forces attacking inside of Russia. Yes, of course they've been attacked, and so they have a right to counterattack. That's not my point. My point is, is for decades during the Cold War, it was about managing escalation. And everything I've seen from the Biden administration and from the Trump administration and from the Obama administration and definitely the fucking second Bush administration, everything we've seen for 20 years, it's like we go from zero to a fucking hundred in a few fucking weeks. That's not managing escalation. That is diving into it. So at this point, you have to assume that the United States has a greater nuclear deterrence than Russia, because if that's not the case, then they have an incentive to attack us. And here's the other thing, too. No amount of money makes you smart. People who say, well, look at the amount of money we spend on defense compared to everyone else. Yeah, with useless fucking dollars, we do that. With a lot of shitty fucking Fed notes, we buy a lot of shitty weapons, and a lot of them don't quite work right, brothers and sisters, and a lot of those service people don't know how to navigate a boat. So the thing we have to ask ourselves is, in this situation, and it's a lot like the Dirty Harry movies, do you feel lucky? Okay? I have read enough articles in the last 10 years to state the following. There is a good chance that the United States government hasn't been able to replace any tritium in any thermonuclear weapons for two decades. Given the half-life of tritium, that means essentially the entire U.S. nuclear deterrent could be about one-tenth, conservatively speaking, and up to one one-thousandth what, what we think it is. 
okay? If that were true, and the Chinese and the Russians, but specifically the Russians knew this, they would have even further incentive to attack us first. The reason why you don't escalate this quickly is because you don't have time to figure that shit out. Your enemy doesn't have time to figure that shit out. Everybody is working with less information, which means the entire game is by definition unstable. And that means you can't make one fucking prediction about it. And here's where nuclear war gets more fun. Once the bombs start dropping, the likelihood that you'll be able to prevent full-scale nuclear war decreases. That means more bombs, the worse it gets, means more bombs. And that, too, is why men like Herman Kahn, although he probably had his own kinds of sociopathic issues, he worked for the deep state, but men like Herman Kahn said, you just don't risk it all at once. That's dumb. You take small steps. And you even contemplate the possibility, which I think Herman Kahn developed, conceptually speaking, you contemplate the possibility that you could have a limited nuclear war, that you could launch a few missiles and decide to turn it off. But that's not what the Biden administration is doing. They're painting the Russians in a way that fits the modus operandi of, of our constitutional government going back to 1800, whether it's Mexicans, Native Americans, African Americans, or our enemies abroad, they're painting them as monsters. They're not even human in this context. The, the propaganda is describing them in subhuman ways. This is a step not towards de-escalation, but further escalation. This is not good. So if you believe any of the Ukraine story is true, you should be contacting your congressmen and senators right now and tell them to turn this the fuck off. I don't care if you think Putin is good or Putin is bad. I'll let you in a little secret. All these government motherfuckers are pieces of shit. That's not the issue. The issue is avoiding, you know, thermonuclear war. The other thing I talked about, the methane bomb which is also in a weird way connected to this issue of the Ukraine because, like I said, more than one crackpot environmentalist has proposed nuclear war as a solution in recent decades. I don't really know for a fact that the clathrate gun is real. I read Shikova's, one of Shikova's papers on the East Siberian Arctic Shelf. I would highly recommend looking into Dr. Shikova, University of Alaska. She's written a lot on this issue. She's studied the numbers. She's been involved in the expeditions where they measure the methane. They have a lot of sub, you know, subsurface um, views of the bottom of the Arctic shelf right now that make it look like the surface of the moon. There are so many of these big methane blowouts. And then you have these methane blowouts across the Arctic. So I don't really know for certain. I do know this. Permafrost means permanently frozen. And that concept is slowly not applying to anywhere in the Arctic Circle at this point. Everything that was permanently frozen is now becoming seasonally a little bit frozen. And a lot of places in the Arctic are simply just disintegrating into swamp and, and wetlands. Which means that if someone built a small town or a fort or a base or some type of refinery or anything in the Arctic Circle, a lot of these facilities are sinking into the permafrost as it melts.
But that's assuming we're being told the truth. And this gets back to that core issue. It's why when it comes to the monkey herpes, I get so upset with people. They're so skeptical of global warming. They're so skeptical of everything. But so many of you germophobic pieces of shit got suckered by the monkey herpes. You did. You did. And a lot of you ended up scaring people to death. And you can say, well, they were just too weak. But that's what a piece of shit says. That really is. It's not like wearing a UFO t-shirt. It really isn't. It's not like wearing a shirt that says, I believe in ghosts. Because in general, from a population dynamics perspective, people don't kill themselves because someone's wearing a t-shirt that says, I believe in ghosts. But if you reduce a city, a city of hundreds of thousands or millions of people to a dystopia where people are wearing coffee filters everywhere they fucking go and getting crazy and irate if other people aren't wearing coffee filters on their fucking faces, guess what? That's not like a Sasquatch t-shirt. And people do kill themselves in those types of dystopias, whether they're real or not. The Rona was bullshit. I know this for a fact. I can't prove it, but if I had the money, I think I could. The race war was bullshit. I'm pretty certain of this. If I had the money, I could prove it, okay? I have some video. I have my own evidence of observing Chaz Chopia. So I can tell you that was bullshit. And I can tell you other things I observed my own fucking eyes were bullshit. But why the fuck would you trust me, right? I, I am pretty certain that for the last two years, they have been using psychological warfare. And I don't know how much of the Ukraine thing is real. I don't. I don't know anybody who can verify it. I don't have anyone I'm in contact with right now that can tell me how much of it is true. What I can tell you is the ecosystems of every place I've lived in the last 10 years, to include Utah, looks kind of fucked. It doesn't mean everything is bad, but there are some things that are deeply wrong. Okay, this last winter was interrupted by a number of springs, and so far the summer that started before spring is being interrupted periodically with winter. It's weird. It's like Star Trek Three. You walk 10 miles, you're in an entirely different, you know, climate. But that doesn't tell us anything. A, that's anecdotal, and B, it still doesn't tell us what's going on. My advice to people is that when you go through the process of hearing something like this, that you do your own research, okay? I needed to talk about this because, well, maybe selfishly, I needed people to understand why it is I lose sleep. You know, if, if, if I ever talk about it on the podcast, I didn't sleep last night, the number one reason I've lost sleep in the last couple years, and, and every once in a while I do, has been this question of why they're doing this. You know, if it had ended, if it had ended in 2020, then it was just more theft. One of the biggest robberies in human history. Check a box. They did it again. But it didn't end in 2020. It didn't end in 2021. And with all the crap going on, including Fauci saying the pandemic is over, it still doesn't look like the mind fuckery is ending. So you got to do your own fucking research. And as far as the famine goes, so far the United States is insulated from it. 
But I think that's going to happen too, no matter what happens next. Um, we have these highly centralized, like I said, neo-Stalinist systems to include the food system, the, the Norman Borlaug Nobel Prize system, and it's, it's reached the end of its ropes. So I don't really, I don't know. I, I don't know that we're going to avoid the famine. It's, it's going to hit us too. It's just a question of when. And, and as I said in previous podcasts, I seriously doubt the government's going to give you any warning. Sorry. It's more likely it'll be like 9-11. We couldn't have known. We didn't know. How could we know? God damn it, people. If you keep voting for people that tell you every five years they couldn't have known, why do you do it? Why do you do it? Is it because you're so fucking afraid to control your own goddamn life that you need to vote for people that admit that they're fucking stupid? Well, I couldn't have known. You gave us billions of dollars. We couldn't have known. We misplaced trillions of dollars, but we couldn't have known. The United States, to my knowledge, based upon my reading, was experimenting with hypersonics going back to Kelly Johnson. Kelly Johnson, who gave us the SR-71, the U-2 spy plane, and a whole bunch of other shit you will never read about. That's Skunk Works, right? Area 51. So the United States has been experimenting with hypersonics for, yeah, 70 years. And someone's going to tell me that they couldn't have known about them, and there's no way, given all the money we spend, we could have built one or two that worked. You see, that's another thing, too. This hypersonic story smells like the CIA missile gap bullshit. Okay, it smells like the same crap the CIA pulled in the early 60s saying, oh, there's a missile gap. The Russians got all these missiles we don't have. They're going to destroy us soon because all their fucking missiles. And that whole story turned out to be bullshit, 100% fucking bullshit. There was never a missile gap. There was never a bomber gap. And if you think counting planes is the way you figure out who's ahead, then yeah, I'm going to call you Baghdad Bob. My advice is that you treat fear like any other feature of your consciousness. If you, can, if you can actually live with it, understand it, it can help you. The idea that fear um, is useless is crazy. Okay, there are a lot of people who say you can't be afraid. No, fear exists for a reason. What you should do is try to figure out what the fuck you should be afraid of. For example... Rona monkey herpes. My advice is don't be afraid of that. And don't wear that coffee filter anymore, okay? Famine, I think we're within that 75 to 80% probability range now. So famine, I would definitely think about. And I would make preparations for your family. And, you know, if you have pets, don't... Unless you want to eat your dog and cat. Unless that's your fucking plan. Make a plan for your pets too, okay? The options are you eat them... You kill them or you feed them, okay? If you love your pets, like a lot of you people claim to, claim to love your pets, then you're going to need a food plan for them too that could last maybe a year. And that's not easy. And that's why none of these choices are going to be easy. If it's like, well, who do I feed, my kids or my pet? If you're a parent and you can't answer that question, you've got some real fucking problems, okay? When it comes down to that, you got to feed your fucking kids, and if it means cooking your dog, 
as horrible as that sounds, that could happen. It's happened throughout history. If you think you're so special because you're a fucking American that it can't happen to you, you are confused. But if you're going to make a plan and you have the resources to do so, don't forget your pets. You know, if you care about them, set aside the food. Beyond that, I don't have to tell you. I still think the greatest, the greatest threat above all threats is a Sasquatch. Up there in the mountains looking down, eyes red, yellow, and jaundiced. up there. Sasquatch. He's furry. He's covered in maggots. He's covered in blood. The Sasquatch general is organizing his troops. He's heading your way. Sasquatch King. I still think the great furry one is our threat. Secondarily, we have to worry about the raccoons. Armies of raccoons armed with small little daggers and little beady eyes are coming for you. They are the vanguard of the Sasquatch military force. They are the ally of the Chewbacca men. But, you know, here's the deal. If you wanted to, you could spend all day making a list of things to be scared of. And, and that list could be long or short. I'm not going to tell you or any person that spending time on fear is helpful. But ignoring fear can be disastrous. It's complicated in this sense. It really is. It's not simple. People who say that human emotion is simple mostly fucking sociopaths. But when it comes to those of us who think and feel, we know emotions are not simple and they're not useless. Fear does impart information. Information probably from the unconscious, the collective unconscious. Probably from the part of the brain that is thinking all the time, even when we're thinking about really dumb stuff like a TV show or, you know, drinking beer, or getting pizza, or dating that girl from the, you know, <laughs> dating that girl from the from FedEx, right? The one that showed up the other day, she gave you her card.
So for Wednesday, April the 27th, it's, wow, it's been two hours. I'm a fucker. More than two, well, yeah, more than two hours. So long you've had to listen to this shit. I hope you're happy about it. I, I promise to, in the title, I'm going to scare you, but I hope I didn't, actually. You shouldn't live in fear. You should also not ignore fear. If that sounds like a contradiction, welcome to life. There are a lot of complicated negotiations we have to make. We should trust people, but does that mean you should trust everybody? We should learn to love, but does that mean you're going to love everybody? We should have friends, but is everybody going to be your fucking friend? (laughs) Nope. There's a lot of things we should do, and we have to be fucking careful. This life is not perfect. It's pretty, you know, pretty freaking cool. And there's all kinds of really awesome things that happen, but it, it's not perfect. It never was. If you're an atheist, it never was. If you're a Christian and you understand the epic we're in, it never was. It was never perfect. It was never without pain. It was never without risk. There are good times and there are bad times. There are times when people want to kill each other and there are times when people want to make friends with each other. There are times when we're prepared to build and there are times when humans, for whatever crazy fucking reason, decide to tear everything down. There are times when there's plenty to eat and there's times when there's nothing to eat. There are times when people say to themselves, wow, I'm so bored, I wish things were exciting. And then there are times where people say, this shit's too fucking exciting. I want to get bored again. There are times to be happy and times to cry. There are times for people to build. And there are times to preserve. And I can't tell you which time it is because I'm not Flavor Flav and I'm not God. But I can tell you that if you're going to think about the world in any way, try to use some logic. If you can't verify something is true, then there's really no reason to be afraid of it. And if your spooky third eye tells you that something might be an issue, if your spooky third eye tells you that there could be a problem, don't ignore it. Because there's a whole nother computer operating in your brain 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. It looks at the sky, it looks at the ground, it tabulates all kind of random ephemera and data and all kinds of shit. And every once in a while it says, excuse me sir, you can't trust that person. Excuse me sir, that's not your friend. Excuse me sir, there's a beast in the woods. And it's hungry. It's looking for grinkin flesh. It's out there with the raccoon and the sasquatch. Last but not least, uh, if you want to donate to this podcast, it's up to you. Chances are you don't. And it doesn't mean because you don't like it. It's a good chance you don't like it. Although if you listen this long, (laughs) you're a glutton for punishment. A lot of people don't have any money, and that's just the way it is. And 
I can't ask people to come up with money I can't come up with myself. The good news is I'm probably starting a new job soon, along with the business I'm working on. So rad engineering is not dead. It's just that Justin and I have to make some cash. So he found a job someplace, and I can't talk a lot about it, but it has, it has a little bit to do with like taking people on guided tours in the wilderness. So if it works out, you'll have to call me Wilderness Jack. And, and I'll be the expert on keeping you alive in the mountains. I'll even teach you how to kill the Sasquatch. But I'll charge you 500 bucks an hour. Yeah, so, you know, we're going to get some money in. And as far as the business goes, we, we're not, you know, making money yet, but we are having an impact. And that's part of what we wanted to do, you know. Is that necessarily the whole foundation of a good business plan? No. It's good to have cash flow. And we're working on that also. But we just started this four months ago with less than nothing. And we have, we've already done a lot with nothing. I can't imagine what we would do with any proper investment. I think some pretty cool stuff. Um, and if people say, well, you're networking computers with CBs. How much information can you share? Not a lot, not super fast, but we can do it over thousands of miles. And we don't need any switches, any satellites, any freaking 5G. So yes, there are trade-offs. But if what you want to do is get the food delivered, get the fuel delivered, and carry on a minimal amount of long-distance connections with people, it works. And it can only get better. My general theory is is that the person, the people that originally worked on this at Princeton, and, and this is the theory that's not just mine, but Justin and I both have, have thought about this and talked about it, and I bet others have as well, that they basically built JS8 and was developed, you know, WSJTX to a certain point, and then realizing that, well, you can't really give people these types of tools, they backed off. So one of our goals is to, you know, take JSA call and WSJTX and these protocols and take them further. Time will tell. How much time we have, I have no idea. It, it really depends upon what you believe is true and what is likely. And, and recognizing that these are not things we can control, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't consider them as possibilities and plan accordingly. Okay? I mean... One thing I can say with certainty, if you've made money off of crypto and you've made a ton of money but you're still in crypto, I don't care how many more peaks and valleys you think there'll be, you need to get the fuck out. Okay? Whatever you think is happening next, the US dollar is toast. Cryptos are toast. That was always its own kind of mind screw. The purpose of crypto was always to be a furnace for excess fiat. So if you're in that furnace right now and you've made a bundle, sell the furnace to somebody else and get out. That's some simple advice. And I think it's uncontroversial given what's coming. Best case scenario, I am certain that that crypto portfolio is going to fail for you. If you put all your eggs in a social security 401k, my house is worth a billion dollars basket, you need to find another fucking basket. And, that's, and that is a conservative recommendation at this point. Find another basket. Even if this disgusting system can continue, 
especially if you're a Christian, you need to disconnect from it. Because even if it can continue, it is definitely connected to the beast. So if you want to be connected to the beast, you keep on using your Twitter and your Facebook and your smart device and your crypto, and you keep playing that game where maybe the next election the good guys will win. But if you don't want to, then you need to get out of all that. And it's, and it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be so much harder once the food runs out. I mean, that's the thing. If you want to understand the value of your property, you need to ask yourself one simple fucking question. Are you dependent upon food or water that comes from hundreds of miles away? If the answer is yes, then the value of your property is roughly equal to how much food you can get at the grocery store. Period. And that means a lot of property in almost every city on planet Earth right now is technically worth less than the property in the countryside. This is something that's shocking to the city dweller, and they're not going to get it until it's too late, a lot of them. But if you do understand that your property is overvalued at this point, then you need to sell it. And you need to move to the country. You need to learn to farm. You need to learn to purify water. These are not impossible things. You need to give up on learned helplessness. If Michael Bloomberg says it's so easy to farm, you just stick a seed in the ground, you need to know that that's a fucking lie. Beyond that, if you have food and water for your family, enough for a year, and for your pets, and you like my podcast, and you want to donate, you can. You don't have to. Everybody can use a buck. And so for April the 27th, 2022, it's almost 10 p.m. here in Utah on a Wednesday, fuck. And Sasquatch is still up there looking down at me. Looking down at the people of Utah, waiting for his time in the sun. And when he has a chance to pull out his wooden sword and and march on down to your town with his armies of Chewbacca, carrying bats and rocks and pillowcases filled with D-cell batteries... ready baby but you know maybe it'll all be maybe it will all be okay right